0: This is Fresh Tracks Weekly. Well, I'm back. We had Randy do the episode last week. Usually Randy's the one who's way too busy to do anything extra, and so that's why I do it. I wish we could have Randy do it every week, but you're stuck with me this time. Spring is finally here in Montana, and by spring I mean turkey and bear season opens tomorrow. There's still a bunch of snow on the ground, and it snowed last night, but hey, we got to go hunting tomorrow. So Karen and I are going to go tromp around and see if we can find some turkeys and maybe pick up some antlers. Uh, I'm going to wait a little bit on the bears. I'll do that a little later into the season, but for right now, we need to go check in and see what Michael has going on in the Fishing Corner. Hey guys, welcome back to the Fishing Corner
1: with your boy, Mike P, episode 38. It's been a few weeks since we've been in the Fishing Corner, been editing videos, been editing some Anything Goes. It's going to be coming out here in the next couple weeks, so be on the lookout for that. Big news there. As far as fishing goes, man, I've been working on my boat a bunch, making sure I could, I put in a bilge pump. I uh, installed a new depth finder with side imaging and uh, really got after it last weekend, took a, took a day off on Friday and uh, went to a really cool area of Montana, did some walleye fishing. It was medium, the water temps were a little bit low. Um, I met up with two of my friends on Saturday and we fished together on Saturday and Sunday caught a a mixed bag of walleye pike and uh, smallmouth bass super sweet but uh yeah that's kind of it for me man trout fishing i'm not really into it this time of year i'm really getting into the gear fishing um got plans to go do some walleye fishing this weekend so hopefully i have a really great uh fishing corner for you guys next week also come back here on monday we got a little trout episode for you Looking forward to that. Hey, appreciate you guys being here. Back to you, Marcus. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, on to some news. In Montana, the legislature is still fighting over the marijuana tax revenue that was initially supposed to go to Habitat Montana. We've talked about this in a past episode, but here's a brief recap. When Montana voted to legalize marijuana, they were promised 49.5% of that tax revenue would go towards Habitat Montana to purchase land and conservation easements with important wildlife habitat. Well, as soon as politicians saw how much that revenue would amount to, they went after it. In the 2021 legislature, it already got cut from the 49.5% down to 20%, and now they're going after more of it. So during this session, there were multiple bills that were trying to divert funding from the Habitat Montana amongst the other things that this tax revenue is going towards. But now we're down to just two bills that are gonna impact this marijuana tax revenue at least. So HB 669 would remove a lot of the funding for Habitat Montana amongst other things and divert most of it to the general fund. And the other bill is HB 442, which has become somewhat of the compromise bill. This bill maintains funding for Habitat Montana, but through a newly formed legacy account which from what I understand, will be able to fund both Habitat Montana in addition to the Wildlife Habitat Improvement Program. So 442 would also put money towards county road maintenance, Governor Gianforte's heart fund, veterans, state parks, the non-game program, recreational facilities, along with a big chunk still going to the general fund. Basically, with HB 442, everyone gets a little piece of the pie. Both of these bills are competing and continue to move forward, so we'll have to see what happens. There will likely be some sort of conference where they either combine the bills or compromise further, and they'll have one that they push forward. Also in Montana, John Meyer has been arrested for criminal trespass on the Yellowstone Club property. To be clear this is john meyer the attorney not john mayer the musician the Yellowstone club is an exclusive private club near big sky ski resort for the ultra wealthy it's basically one of those things that if you have to ask how much it costs to be in the club you can't afford it it consists of luxury condos houses a golf course and private ski lifts anyway john meyer is the founder of cottonwood law firm which is a firm that primarily utilizes the equal access to justice act to sue government agencies for failing to follow their own rules But in this case, John was collecting water samples from a river that flows through the Yellowstone Club to attempt to show that poor management of the golf course was polluting the river. In order to collect these samples, John, along with a contractor, waded up the river staying below the high water mark to attempt to not trespass on the Yellowstone Club land. So the stream access law in Montana allows individuals to access navigable streams below the ordinary high water mark for recreational purposes. John filmed the process of themselves wading up the river, stopping to fish along the way. I assume this was to satisfy the need to be recreating while utilizing the stream access law. Again, I am making an assumption here, but I'm guessing the decision to move forward with charging John for trespass was that John's intent was not recreation, and his intent was to collect the water samples. I'm very curious to see how this shakes out because Montanans generally get very fired up when anything threatens our stream access laws. But I also wouldn't doubt that there is way more to the story on both sides that the public is unaware about. We've talked in the past about wildlife crossings over roadways and how last year's infrastructure bill will allocate significant funding towards wildlife crossings, which is awesome. But recently scrolling through Hunt Talk, I noticed that someone posted a link to a short film that has been the best overview of wildlife crossings that I've ever seen. The film is actually three years old, but it was too good not to share. The opening line is pretty good. Quote, we spend $8 billion a year running over wildlife. If you took a fraction of that $8 billion and you invested into crossing structures, this problem would be solved in a generation. In this film, they've looked at the economics of the situation and have shown that in the high priority areas, you're actually saving taxpayer dollars by installing these crossings when you factor in the amount of vehicle strikes and human injury that occur from hitting deer. Not only that, but they're reconnecting habitat and migration corridors and reducing wildlife mortality. It's really a win-win situation. I've now been able to see some of these crossings firsthand in Nevada, Montana, and Wyoming, and it's pretty impressive how well they work. Numerous studies have shown that when they're built right, these crossings are well used by multiple species of wildlife. A lot of states now have plans in place, starting with high priority zones to build more of these structures, Anyway, it's super cool to see all of this finally coming together. I'll put a link to the film in the video description. I highly suggest checking it out. In North Dakota, a bill has been stopped that would have prohibited wildlife officials from banning big game baiting. Currently in the state, baiting is prohibited on public land but is allowed on private land, except if that unit is within 25 miles of a confirmed case of chronic wasting disease. It is widely considered best practice to restrict baiting to mitigate the spread of CWD as baiting congregates deer into close proximity increasing disease transmission. Also, as I mentioned in a previous episode, a recent study showed that the physical materials that feeders are made of appear to hold on to these CWD prions for a longer period of time. So this bill would have stripped North Dakota Game and Fish Department's ability to decide whether or not baiting should be allowed, essentially allowing baiting to be legal everywhere. Proponents of the bill claim that restricting the use of bait makes the probability of successfully harvesting a deer much lower and that bait is a tool to help new and young hunters by drawing in the Animals closer. They also claim that many hunters do not have access to good deer habitat so they need the bait to attract the deer and also a big part of it is that people just don't like the government telling them what they can and can't do on their own land. But the science seems pretty clear however that baiting and congregating deer will increase the spread of CWD and opponents made that point loud and clear. So for now, that bill is dead, and North Dakota Game and Fish maintains the ability to restrict baiting where they see fit. Speaking of deer, Jim Heffelfinger and Paul Crossman have just finished up editing a book that will be the Blacktail and Mule Deer Bible for years to come. Jim chairs the Mule Deer Working Group for the Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, which is a collective of knowledge of anywhere in North America that has mule deer. The Mule Deer Working Group is up to date on all of the newest research and the status of herds across the entirety of their range, and they've been able to identify the greatest threats, gaps in knowledge, and what we need to focus on moving forward. But this book will be the resource for everything Mule Deer for quite a while. You can get it on discount right now if you pre-order it, or you can also request your local library pick up a copy. I'll put a link in the video description where you can check it out. This book also inspired this week's deeper dive where we discuss what is killing all of the Mule Deer. A little clappy clap. Welcome back to Fresh Tracks <laughs> Weekly. Gotta have like the the intro voice, the radio announcer voice. Okay, so this one's about what's killing all the meal deer.
2: Lead poisoning.
0: Lead poisoning. <laughs> well, Waltz. I mean, I think meal deer have seen like range-wide declines. Yeah. In uh, recent times, and I feel like a lot of people like to associate it with one thing or the other yep but oftentimes it's not just one thing
2: right it's not just the wolves it's it's, it's on, no it's right. all the wolves marcus we we this is a complicated problem we need to be americans here and give it a really simple easy answer <laughs> let's
0: start off with michael what is kill, what do you think is killing well, all of the mule
2: deer
1: i definitely think it's uh hunters in the rut with rifles and uh mule deer and or I'm sorry I'm mule deer, mule deer. deer uh <laughs> wolves <laughs> for for sure. yeah. it's um, all those no, bucks fine i'm huh? I'm excited to get a little bit educated on this today because I don't know a whole lot about it, like in all seriousness, I'd say, what kills deer the most wolves uh and probably probably the ability to hunt them in their dumbest uh stage of life or not stage of life, but stage in the, of the year,
3: you know when they're run. Yeah, Jace, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I would say I am also interested to hear, I guess, what you have to offer and what research you found out because I don't know too much. But if I were to throw out some some educated guesses on my end, I'd maybe say habitat um, and maybe diseases, natural diseases of some sort. And, and um, yeah, just like mule deer and the winter. Yeah. That's my – those are my guesses. Randy, what's killing all the deer?
2: I don't really know. I, I read a lot of stuff. And I, see, I'm grayer than all you guys combined. So I can go back to the 1980s when I was going to college in Nevada and they had 265,000 meal deer. And it was a really wet cycle during the mid 80s and late 80s. And now they have about 90,000 meal deer. And I get to go back there every once in a while. And you get these screenshots that are not just like this gradual day-by-day change. It's like, oh, I haven't been here for 22 years. Oh, my gosh, what happened to all the habitat? So I'm going with weather patterns, secondarily, primarily habitat.
0: Yeah, and I think that the real answer is nobody knows. And it's not just one thing. But, I mean, there's a lot of people looking into it. And that's what, um, as I mentioned, Jim had the... Jim new Heffelfinger. Book. Jim Heffelfinger has a well it's not it's not I shouldn't say it's his book. It is a conglomerate of a lot of different authors of basically the new Mule Deer. It'll be the Mule Deer guidebook for years to come. The Bible. Yeah. But it's also so Blacktail and Mule Deer. They're both members of the Mule Deer family. Um, but anyway, so same Jim Heffelfinger also chairs the Mule Deer Working Group for WAFWA, the Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. But anyway, so they have, they're like kind of like this group of individuals from all over North America that come together to like identify what are the biggest threats, what are, what are the biggest gaps in research, like what do we need to put, where do we need to put our funding to understand what, what's going on in certain areas, and it's different, different, you know, depending on what state or province or region you're in, there's different issues. And unfortunately, there's no simple answer. It's a lot of different things.
2: And these aren't just individuals who get together. These are like the big brain people in right. the deer world. Yeah, exactly. The... Then this is the who's who. So at our office, we have the Pronghorn Bible, because I just ordered that the day that it pre-orders came available. It said it shipped today. I already got an email. It's shipping. So that'll be required reading for everybody to retain employment here. What's the name oh. of
1: that one? just curious is it like
2: it's probably is, it's another one like Tail deer ecology or something yeah okay. like. they all say and ecology what about jim's
1: book
0: are we going to link it in the oh, description yeah, yeah and up? it's on pre-order right now okay. um so you can get it for a discount
2: yeah so you get um, 28 bucks off or something right now 28 percent oh is that what it was okay um, so. jim
1: and his comrades love deer that's all i know
0: mm-hmm. they, indeed they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very good at it um but anyway, so, yeah, I don't know. There's no, I don't even know how to prioritize. There, they do have, on the Mule Deer Working Group website, they do have resource priorities, which aren't necessarily, like, the leading things that are causing the death of mule deer or causing the declines, but it is, like, here are gaps that we need to figure out, like, with our research. I mean, I think, for one, we, we do know that the climate, basically, hard winters are going to be one of the number one things that are going to affect fawn survival and just the overall population trends. You yep. can't really control that.
2: Nope. Well, you, you can control to some degree the consequences or the outcomes exactly. from hard winters because that book, every study you've ever read going back to when any of us were in grade school, says that the higher the quality of the habitat, the more resilient and responsive ungulates, deer, whatever, are to two things. Weather events, like hard winters or drought, and predation. So, it...
0: Yeah, that's the thing. So, all of these factors don't operate independently of one another. And I think that's a big thing. So, like, yeah, we can't control the weather itself, but if you have high-quality habitat and the ecosystem's in a good position, then... the meals you're going to have better survival so um but it's interesting so right now this one was uh interesting to me the number one research priority actually is the impacts of energy development which i think it's this probably there's just some unknown information there
2: yeah I, and i think the horse is a little bit out of the barn on that one we should have been uh unfortunately uh should have been doing that out on the pine dale anticline back in the you know 17 18 years ago when they were developing those oil fields but mm-hmm. i mean we all need energy so i think oh, their their point is if we need energy how do we do it in a way that is most responsible to the cause of the deer or other right. other wildlife yeah and then a lot to do
0: with habitat which is like Back the next that. like two through two three and four all have to do with ha- different uh, aspects of habitat which i think is like very telling like And like you said, the quality of habitat can affect the level of predation. It can affect the, you know, their nutrition throughout the winter, what they're going to be, you know, the condition they're going into winter. All this stuff, it adds up. So I feel like often everyone focuses on the shiny objects, and you like to get pissed off about the hunting regulations, basically how many deer hunters are able to kill, and then also predation from whether it's wolves, coyotes, you know, Mount mountain lions, lions whatever, because it's just like it's just like well, there are. I mean, it's just a very blatant death of a of individual deer. You see a lion predation, or you see a hunter kill deer. Like that is a very direct consequence. You can see it. You know it happened. But what you don't see is all of the deer that are in poor condition and having, and the fawns aren't surviving, or maybe they disabort their fawn. There's just all of these other factors that are less. Obvious that are really driving the populations. And not to say that, I mean, obviously hunting and predation have an impact. And those are the fun ones to play with because we are able to adjust those more readily than other things. But I feel like often, like Randy is mentioning, habitat gets left behind. And it's just like we could do so much to focus on better quality habitat and conserving existing habitat too that it's just like it's not as cool of a shiny object to focus on
2: well you can't really complain about habitat down at the bar (laughs) yeah yeah you can complain about the regulations or you can complain about you know wolves or lions or whatever you know and there's there's all those discussions that go on and they move the needle a little bit right you know even i joked at the beginning i said most deer die of lead poisoning Uh, In Montana, I bet you more bucks die of lead poisoning than anything else. Uh, But uh, in my concern about how Montana's regulations are, I talked to Jim Heffelfinger. I talked to Andy at Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I talked to a lot of people. And as long as your buck-to-doe ratios are over 10, you're really not. uh, You're still going to have the pregnancy rates you need for whatever does are there.
0: Yeah. So is this like the thing where you're starting to come around? Cause I feel like this is an interesting topic where I think sometimes Randy and I will get in a little bit of a debate where I'm, I'm kind of all about Montana's opportunity being able to shoot a two year old, three year old mule deer buck every year. I feel like you, you kind of been an advocate for, you know, maybe we should restrict our hunting seasons during the rut and, yep. and not that. shoot all of the mule deer bucks in November.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been an advocate for that and uh, to somewhat an advocate that has some hypocrisy to my position as I find out more information because my concern was we are hurting the long-term viability of the herd by not having a, a diverse enough age class within the, within the herd. And the science says, you know what? Year and a half old, two and a half year old bucks, they can do all the work. They they've done the research and and say they can now you know what what does that mean i i guess what it means is my desire for having a diverse age class is more of a social issue than it is a scientific issue but i don't think that discounts the the social issue that some people bring to it oh as it as a moderated my thoughts on it yeah The one thing I have learned from all that is Montana shooting 10 or 11,000 does in region seven. Yeah. Where they say, well, we've got a landowner concern here. We've got too much crop damage or whatever. Where do all those does get killed? They get killed on public land. So these guys did say, no, if you don't have enough does around, guess what? You're going to have a problem with that herd. So, besides winter killing a lot of them, besides now CWD coming here, we still, every year, issue 10,000 doe tags for meal deer in that area. I I think that has probably greater consequences than my concern about what age class the bucks should be.
0: Yeah. I think, I don't know, this is a really fun one for me. I, I want to do like a, I don't know. I, I guess a, one example of, how fired up people are. If you go to the Hunt Talk Forum, which I feel like is this, like, interesting subset of
2: hunters also... It's a definitely a subset, and it's definitely an interesting subset. But they're passionate, and, mm-hmm, like, especially...
0: Totally. I feel like there's, like, quite a bit of... There's, like, multiple forums on mm-hmm, mule deer in Montana, and I feel like if I went on there and I'm like, heck, yeah, let's go shoot all two-year-old bucks, like, I feel like mm-hmm. I would get torn to pieces. Because, yeah. like, most of the vocal, like... Mm-hmm. people are wanting they want to see diverse age classes like right. of this group of people and so i don't know it's just a fun one for me but like you bring up an interesting point with the does but at the same time you, you talk about killing all of the doe milder in eastern montana yet eastern montana is still one of the like most productive zones and large and, and that's an inter- that's a, also brings into the fact the land ownership patterns where you have private landowners that are conserving or, you know, restricting access and therefore limiting harvest in that respect. So it's like hard to, you know, suss out exactly what's going on. And, but again, I think so many of these regulations are, we attribute them to affecting the population when I think mostly what they're affecting is hunter satisfaction. And so I agree with you that I think by killing a ton of deer on public land, we are making it a less enjoyable experience for a lot of hunters that might be hunting region seven, but in the scheme of the actual population, I feel like hunters aren't really impacting it that much. No, like I, the, I, the age class? Yes, sure. Right. But as far as like the total population, there's, there's just so many other factors that are right. a bigger player than what we shoot.
2: So what I would ask Montana mule deer managers then is why when other states have drought do they reduce tag numbers, especially antlerless doe tag numbers? And when the, it responds with moisture, why do they increase that? Other states, the doe tags are what fluctuate a lot. I can guarantee you that when the season settings finalize here this spring, I'd, I'd be willing to bet each of you 100 bucks that we still issue 10,000 doe tags in eastern Montana.
0: It's hunter satisfaction. That's all it is and Montana doesn't cater as much to hunter satisfaction as other states. That's Correct. my theory.
2: No, I and so but my point is all right, we came out of a drought 2018, 19, 20, 21 and they told us our numbers are down 40% in that area. Now we get a really really hard winter. So I I'm I'm probably more in your camp about the age class of bucks necessary for herd health. I am still firmly planted that in the areas that we're talking about for accessible mule deer you can't be shooting the hell out of the does the way we do and expect the populations to rebound the way that they did. Yeah, I don't know. I it'll I mean look at look at region 3. When I moved here this place was a mule deer mecca. A, around Bozeman. I mean, Bozeman the Gallatin County, Park County, Madison County. Now you're lucky if you go out to those places and you see a four point buck in a week of hunting. Yeah. And uh, and I'm sure there's a ton of factors that are playing into that. It's probably mostly habitat, the succession of the forest, the whatever. Well, then
0: you have, but so we do have some limited entry permits in Southwest Montana. And they've,
2: the numbers in those areas haven't responded
0: positively either. Exactly. So even like highly restricted units where you don't you aren't harvesting a bunch of bucks or does even there's like very limited doe harvest and and buck harvest in some of these districts and yet they still have seen declines. Right. So and well, so that's is the that? head scratcher. That's yeah. we don't know. I yeah. mean that's like the big question, but it's just like if it's the same product I mean, I think some managers, and I, I've argued with them, too, because it's just like I do like having a a little bit of a more restricted area occasionally for trophy hunting, essentially. I mean, I like to try to shoot mature bucks. So that's just like my own greedy thing. But in terms of, like, the actual overall herd health, it is a really interesting um, thing to look at because, yeah, super restricted areas haven't necessarily and – they, and they aren't even producing – Giant bucks, either that's a thing. Like you can restrict the harvest way down, like a fraction of the percent of total hunters and total buck harvest, and yet for whatever reason, they're just not that. There's not very many, and there's not big bucks. So there's other factors that are so much bigger than what we as hunters do. And so, like I'll give it to you, like yeah, it's pretty hard to find a four point buck in in Southwest Montana or a buck that's over three years old. Like it is, it is, it is rare, but. I th- I think that again we focus too much on the shiny object and we we blame FWP for for uh, restri- you know for allowing us to shoot bucks during the rut when it's like guys there's something else going on it's oh, not absolutely. just that and so but I feel like when you query if you queried hunters in Bozeman most of them would attribute it to like yeah well of course we shoot them in the, we shoot all of them in the rut that's why like that's why that is the reason but I
2: would argue there's other it's things not, going on. There's other things. I mean, before you guys moved here, there used to be no houses, uh, hardly anything out on Spring Hill. So let's use the Bridgers. Been limited entry since 1997. Yep. Population total population has went down since 1997.
0: It's been restricted. Like the harvest has been restricted a lot in the Bridgers. Right. They did, and they had like they've been researching it since the 80s. Dave Pack Pack started
2: it. And when I moved here in 91, the Bridgers were way better mule deer hunting in 1992, 93, 94, before the really hard winter in 96, 97. Were way better hunting when it was a general unit than it is today. So what's changed? I don't know all the things that have changed, but when I go to habitat. Yeah, I was going to say. The amount of habitat that has been converted to human houses. Yeah, yeah and subdivisions and residential stuff is crazy and we'll get someone who says oh no they just come and feed in my flower garden or they they eat on my shrubs that is not how they evolve okay the same, you yeah. might see you might see one in your three or five in your yard but that's not how it used to be and those bucks when pack was you know had collars on all of them those deer come to the west side as quick as it snows so they they Winter on the west side, predominantly. Where has all the habitat been converted to human presence? The west side. So, right.
0: Well, and and so, but that's the thing. It's not just that either. So, the very first film I made in film school was on the Bridger Mule Deer. Oh, cool. And so, like, I went and interviewed Dave Pack and Julie Cunningham. And what they were telling me is that, yeah, it's habitat is a big one. So, on the west side, you have all this development. But on the east side, at the same time, you have all of this logging going on in the summer range. And then you have this increase in mountain lines all throughout this same time period, and then you also have coyote populations starting to explode in like the 16 mile country, and that starts to bleed in from, from that area. And so it's like this huge population of coyotes are keen on mule deer in the north. You have more mountain lines, you have habitat develop or habitat summer range degradation, and then also winter range with all this development and housing stuff at the same time elk numbers have increased a ton so now you have extra competition with elk there wasn't near as many elk in the in the 70s and 80s as there are now in the bridgers and so it's this like all of these things it's not just one thing and that's like I think that's the moral of the story is like there's so many things that impact them and we want to focus on the one issue but it's never just right. one simple issue
2: no and you know uh, you guys again I sound so old and gray when I say this but in the summertime, you could go up to Sacagawea or Fairy Lake, and you wouldn't see anybody. You'd see a car or two. That's the, that whole crest is the premium summer range for Melder. Now, if you could set up a bar at Fairy Lake or a coffee yeah. shop, you could retire in about three years. Or if you could sell parking spots up there. There Um, are more people on a warm summer day up in that mule deer summer range than there are at times on Main Street of Bozeman. Yeah, that's (laughs) one I forgot to
0: mention that's huge, too. Human recreation, exponential. I mean, it's been busy up there for a while, but it's just gotten busier and busier.
2: So I'm, I'm with you, Marcus. You take all these things, and it's the human condition that we want an easy answer to complex problems. So each of us kind of grab and focus on that one but i do think the bridgers represent a really good because it's so isolated we've tried a lot of things with limited hunting and lower doe tags and da 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 and it's not making a difference so it shows us that the hunting part of it it wobbles the needle so so little compared to the other parts yeah in my simple mind
1: before we go, I just want to be educated a little bit on like the habitat side of things. So like we're talking habitat loss. We're not are we talking like because of like fire suppression? Are we talking because of homes being built on the sides of mountains in their winter range all of the above or like what would you say is like the like the biggest like three if there are are there a top 3 like Habitat loss features. I know, like in Wyoming, there's
3: like Maybe in, high, a invasive highway. species of plants. Yeah, there's, a, there's all, a of the of above. all of the that's above. That's <laughs> the hard <laughs> part. Gotcha.
0: And that's, it's, yeah. a, it's such a complicated
3: thing. It, from what I'm seeing, it seems like a common theme is a lot of this is stemming back just to just the human population. Exactly. Is, well, yeah. Jackpot. <laughs> 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 I mean, the invasive species who brought that? That would be us. Who, yeah. the infringing on their wintering grounds with homes? That's us. Recreation. I mean, I mean, there's, I know there's a lot of other natural factors too, but I think from what I'm gathering from this conversation, it seems like us as the human population are really a big factor. In, yeah. In the, all the variables.
0: Yeah. And the, <laughs> Which the plant communities too, like, yeah. I mean, we used to remove sagebrush, like we would spray sagebrush or mechanically remove sagebrush. And that's like a huge thing for mule deer. And then also just like, Overgrazing from cattle per, or from you know cattle grazing, like they key in on bitter brush which is another like really important wintering plant for mule deer. And then you have mahogany, which is another one that we've seen declines in, and this like all sorts of you know different plants that we've lost through various means, whether it's we sprayed them, the cattle ate them, the we fi- like you said fire suppression, but uh, allowing like conifer encroachment and taking over yeah. winter
2: range and when do we have fire suppression as quick as we start building homes in this interface of where the fire danger happens like if there was a big fire in one of our areas well we saw it in the bridgers right in yeah. 2020 is that when the yeah, fire was, hit the bridge it was 2020 and it wiped out within one afternoon how many homes i mean it was tragic if you're yeah. one of those homeowners i, yeah. I mean there's like the loss of of your dream yeah and the even at that we we couldn't stop it but we suppressed it whereas naturally that fire would have burned four or five times since the last time it burned and it it would have had more habitat successions it it would have been a whole lot different so when humans move into those areas it's like we don't want any fire right and when you remove fire from a landscape that evolved with fire you're going to change that habitat. So I I don't know, Michael, I can't, I don't know if there are three top ones.
1: Are there any states that are like the mule deer are
0: improving? Like, or is it just across the board? It seems like
2: all across the
1: West that they're just kind of in a decline right now.
0: I mean, there's obviously cyclic patterns where populations go up and down, but I feel like the general overall trend range-wide
2: is. Yeah. You know how if you go to a financial advisor, they say, you guys are all young, invest in stocks. It's going to go like this, but from point A to point B when you retire, it's going to be up. You almost have to reverse that with mule deer. There are ups and downs, but the long-term trend is coming down.
0: And to Jace's point, you could probably, you know, plot on a graph human population growth and inverse to (laughs) mule deer decline. So. Maybe it is maybe it is maybe we can boil it down to one factor. Yeah, there it is. <laughs>
1: the, the one factor that's killing meal deer is right here. It's the, the
2: productivity it's, of the human womb. But uh I I don't want people to think that we're saying, well, that means people gotta just disappear, you know. Because right. when you say that, it's like, well, who's the first volunteer? <laughs> uh, what, but that doesn't mean we can't be aware of that, be accountable to that. And change our activities and reallocate or resources to places where it does make a difference.
0: Right. Yeah, so. you mitigate and then you manage for the quality habitat that is left in areas that you can, you know, improve the habitat in which we've already destroyed. And you do the best with what you got. And, like, we'll never have what we once had in schemes of, like, total habitat. But
2: there's obviously ways that we can make the best with what we got. Yeah. And uh, this episode is brought to you by some birth control device. Or <laughs> but anyway, we're sorry. I was playing, well, <laughs> well, I well, everyone's going to be like, well, what do we do about I it? I think a lot of people well, are going to be chuckling. Keep, oh. keep your britches on. That's what you do there you about. go. Words of wisdom
0: for Rand- Randy Newberg. <laughs> All right. Well, go buy The Ecology and Management of Blacktail and Mule Deer of North America. It's a sweet book, uh, hopefully. Well, I haven't got to read it yet, So, but we're going to get a copy here soon. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be great. But, uh,
2: yeah. I, I think you need to make this a longer podcast, Marcus. Well, we already I, went I, I think, 27 minutes. So. You know what you ought to do? You ought to get some lion hunters in here. And a lion hunter and a deer hunter. Because, you know, you're talking about more lions now on the Bridgers. Well, we're on a quota system in Montana and the hound hunt, you know, the lion hunters with hounds, they're like, no, keep those quotas low because we want all these old toms to chase. And the deer hunters are like, well, how do you ever expect the deer to rebound if we get, you know, this density of lions beyond what we've ever had? And so it's an interesting contradiction to hear deer hunters and lion hunters talk to each other because they're both, well, they don't talk. They start yelling within about 10 minutes. (laughs) Uh, Anyhow. Another topic for another day. If you guys got
1: uh, the reason why mule deer populations are declining, leave them down in the comments, please.
3: Yes. (laughs) All right. We'll wrap it up. Thanks, guys.